All right, we all know the defense is a problem. It's a major, major problem. But what are we going to do about it? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, live from Maui. Thanks so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, please, if you haven't already. Today's episode brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So there are a lot of metrics out there that I've seen, statistics where Oregon is in the same defensive category of teams like Akron, Yukon, Vanderbilt, Rice. Anytime you're in the same category as food, mm, no, not good. Yeah, the defense is an issue, and I think we all understand that. And I've gotten a lot of questions from, from people or comments about, you know, why is it this bad? Why is this that way? Why is that this way? There are a lot of things to look at on, on the defensive side of the ball. And we start with Tosh Lupoy. And people are asking questions, not everybody, but some. I think it's warranted because though the defense wasn't great a season ago, does kind of seem like it's taken a step back. But it wasn't great a season ago either. I mean, the offense was a huge culprit in those blowout losses to Utah, but defense wasn't anything special. They certainly have more talent than what they are showing from a production standpoint at this point in time. I think we all understand that. For this season, can it be fixed? No. Can it be better? Yes. It, it, it can be better for the last couple of games. And I don't think the team has the mentality that, you know, unfortunately I've seen some fans come in with, which is, oh, well, you know, there's nothing they can do. The last two games, not going to go well, and all that sort of stuff. I understand why you're in that sort of mindset. But again, remember, this team was not led by the defense during that eight-game winning streak. It was the offense. And yeah, the defense was unusually bad, but that's the leading passer in the nation they just went up against. And he torched them for 400 yards, and they stunk. The defense was horrible. It was. And you're playing two good football teams here in the next couple of weeks. But you're not playing the best passing offense, I think, statistically in the country right now. You're not playing them. You're playing good teams, but you are not playing a team that is such a bad matchup. So there's still a lot to play for. Improvement can be made. And just looking at what Tosh Lupoy has done defensively. Me personally, I'm tired of watching us play soft zone time and time again on third down. I'm tired of it. You give receivers a free release. You make it easy on them. You have good athletes back there. Maybe not great athletes, which I'll get to in in a little bit, but you have good enough athletes to play more man coverage than they currently are. Now, maybe what they're feeling is that the pass rush is not sufficient to where they can run a lot of man coverage. I understand that. But I would rather see them try that and that also not work than they try what they've been doing again and it not work again. It's the B-movie analogy. Well, maybe this time, this time, this time, this time. No, you're not get Jerry Seinfeld as a B was not getting through that window. 
a bunch of soft zone coverage, which is where the Ducks got beat on third down a season ago, it's not going to work. It clearly isn't. And honestly, when I watch the linebackers, I don't think they I, – I think there have been changes clearly with the defensive play calls, the style, the coaching, everything, right? When you've got a new staff, you expect all of that. They are out of position a lot. They are. All, all of them, frankly. I think Boston may be the least of the three, but Sewell and Flo are out of position in the passing game a lot. And it was an issue with Noah Sewell at times a season ago because he wants to stop the run because it's what he's really good at, but he has a tendency to vacate that middle of the field really often, and it leaves a lot of holes on the back end. But then what you're left with is blitzing them because that's what they're best at if you're going in, in a pass coverage situation. But then you either have fewer players on the back end of your defense if you're blitzing four defensive linemen and a linebacker, and that creates a hole, or you're putting a defensive lineman in coverage. And that's no good either. So there's not a great quick-fix solution. But schematically, I would like to see them just try something else. Just, I, I understand making a midseason philosophical change is maybe not the easiest thing to do. It probably isn't. There's a solid case for, no, you got to be more sound in your assignments and you know just be better at what you've been running. I get that, but I've seen it. And it's been so bad. Not bad. It's been historically bad for the Ducks defensively that you've got to try something else. You, you have got to change things up philosophically. And from a play calling perspective, I know everyone always thinks about that in, in the context of the offense, but it's there on the defense too. Tosh Lupoy's got to be better. I mean, Tosh Lupoy's got to be better. And if you're asking questions about him, I, I get it. I don't expect there to be a change in that department after this season. Because though the defensive results have not been what we wanted, the overall results have been. And coordinators are going to get more time than just one year. And Tosh Lupoy hasn't been a defensive coordinator for several years. He was a position coach in the NFL. I think he was a defensive line coach for the Jags before he came back down to the college ranks. He hasn't done it for a while, so maybe he's just trying to get his feet back under him on that side of the ball. I don't know. But Lanning, who called plays at Georgia, needs to sit down with him and say, here's where we need to be better. And you can put it a lot at the feet of Tosh Lupoy. You, you 100% can. I certainly do. But you can't absolve Dan Lanning completely here because there are coaches' meetings all week. And you can talk about what sorts of play calls you want to see on third down, what the game plan is, how you want things to look, how you want your team to play. And Lanning coming from that Georgia defense that was historically great a season ago, though Oregon has some solid athletes, Across the board, nothing compared to what the Bulldogs had a year ago. And Georgia played a lot of aggressive press man defense. And I think what he's probably seeing is he does not trust the players on this Oregon roster right now to play that style of defense. Because are the guys that we have now comparable to what Georgia had a season ago? No. And so I think for Lanning and Lupoy, who are accustomed to seeing those, that caliber of athlete across the board, not just at linebacker, but every position, I think are feeling like they have to be more conservative. And I just think you got you to gotta just man up a little and trust them. 
you just got to say, you know what? We've been getting picked apart in soft zone all week. It just keeps happening time and time and time again. And we got to try something different. And I think Gonzo in press man is really good. Do I think Triquist Bridges and Dante Manning are great? No. But, I mean, philosophically, I say you leave Gonzo almost on an island, except that he might get beat a couple times over the course of the game, but not as bad as it would be if you play balance with your safeties. And just give a bunch of help. Just give a bunch of help. It's a lot of two high safeties, and I think it's got to be one. I think that has to be their base coverage is a single high safety look because you got to have more players in the box. There's too much space in the middle of the field, and you have to just trust that your corners can make those sorts of plays. And I know Washington had a couple of big pass plays over, over the weekend on Saturday night. That was when Bennett Williams was involved, and he is just – He's just not fast enough to keep up with high-level receivers. The two teams we're about to face don't have those sorts of receivers. It's, it's a lot of negative stuff on the defensive side. But there's an element of optimism that I do think is warranted here as you think about the future of this defense. I'll tell you about that after I remind you that if you have thought about securing your home with home security but have been putting it off, you'll want to listen up right now. Locked on Ducks listeners can order the number one rated Simply Safe home security system for 50% off. It's their biggest offer of the year. You won't even find a bigger one at Christmas and you won't want to miss it. In an emergency, 24-7 professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real so you can get the priority police response. Don't miss your chance to say big on the security system that I recommend. The only one, by the way. Get 50% off. 50% off any new Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com slash locked on college. This is their biggest discount of the year, so don't wait. That's simplysafe.com slash locked on college. There's no safe like Simply Safe. The optimism I've got defensively looking to the future is Lanning and Lupoy came in with a defensive unit that also struggled on third down a year ago. And aside from Kayvon Thibodeau, struggled to get after the passer. It's a lot of the same guys. And so looking at what this staff has done coming in, with those two defensive minds at the helm on that side of the ball. And you also look at a guy like Matt Powledge, who was at Baylor last year, part of a really good defensive unit for, for the Bears, coached, uh, I think, an All-American and now NFL player in Jalen Petrie at safety, right? These are not, and you've heard this expression, I'm sure, several times before, their players. It doesn't mean they shouldn't be better, because they should. But these are not guys that they have an extensive relationship with, Christian Gonzalez is kind of the exception because he's the newcomer. Notice he's been the best defensive player consistently all season long. Better than Noah Sewell, better than Brandon Dorless, because Dorless just disappeared for an entire game. Gonzo hasn't disappeared and been worthless for an entire game. Has not happened. So he's been your best defensive player, and that's a guy that they identified as, yeah, we want him, and he's got a relationship with our coaches and understands the message that they're going for and you know how, how to execute the defensive play calls and perform well on that side of the ball. So I think once the recruiting classes start to start to come in and it's players that, that Lanning and Lupoy know and they want to employ a certain way, that's an area where I would expect, expect it, to start to get better. Not a guarantee that it will, but that's just an optimistic optimistic view of what this defense is right now versus what it could become in a couple of years. Is They might look at this personnel and say, 
we want to play this particular style. We want to run a 4-2-5, and we don't think that these guys can do it the way that we want to, so we're going to play them in this particular way. I don't love it because the results have been really, really bad, and it still should be better, but I don't expect that this is going to be an annual thing for, for Oregon. And with regards to, to Lupoy being questioned as a defensive play caller, I haven't been a fan. They've been really bad situationally, but they were also bad situationally a year ago with a different defensive coordinator and a different staff and a different play caller, but a lot of the players were the same. So maybe you just need a, a, a massive changing of the guard at each position to really improve in that department. That's, that's kind of the optimistic view of it. But with regards to whether or not Lanning would take play calling away from Tosh Lupoy this year, highly unlikely. Now, I said coming into the year, I want Lanning to keep calling plays. He is not. I, I wish he would. Like if after the season Lanning said, yeah, I'm going to take over defensive play calling, I would be totally fine with that. But here's why it's not totally likely. Many of you know, I, I work for Southern Utah University. I do their, their TV play-by-play, and I meet with their coaches regularly, including their football coach, Delaney Fitzgerald, who's an awesome guy. And coming into the year, he'd hired an offensive coordinator who was not on his staff, or he didn't really know from his previous coaching stop at Frostburg State. And Fitz is an offensively-minded coach, and I asked him about that. I said, so are you going to call plays the way you did at Frostburg State? He said, nope. Blair Peterson's going to call the place. And so I asked him about that. And one thing he said is when you look at college compared to the NFL as a head coach, being the play caller requires a lot of your time and attention during the week. And then obviously during the game as well, because you have to understand, you know, what plays are we running here? What plays are we doing here? We're going to put this play and put that one in. And it's not that landing isn't a part of that, but when you are the actual play caller, it's different. But what he told me is something that's really stuck with me. And that's when it comes to play calling, a lot of head coaches who might want to do it don't because as a head football coach at the division one level, you have a lot of responsibilities. You have a lot of responsibilities. Some coaches do it. Chip Kelly does it. Chip Kelly's always done it. Chip Kelly's also always needed a high-level defensive coordinator. He's got a higher-level one with, with Bill McGovern. They couldn't come up with enough stops against Arizona on Saturday. But he's always needed a high-level defensive coordinator. Sorry, people watching. It's something that was really bothering my eye there. Had to get it out. He's always needed someone who can take care of that side of the ball because he's never paid any attention to it. Because if you are a play caller, you have to devote so much time to that side of the ball that you don't have enough time really to be that balanced as a coach, right? You have to be incredibly focused on just one side of the ball. And the other reason I don't expect Lanning to take over the play calling, at least anytime soon, is it's very late in the year. But the other thing is, look at where he came from. He was the play caller at Georgia. Kirby Smart wasn't. Nick Saban doesn't call plays. He's a defensive coach, doesn't call the plays on either side of the ball. He's had a lot of coordinators come through. Now, the defense is still going to take the identity of the head coach because he's implementing the philosophy, he's looking at the formations, 
the players, game plan, all that sort of stuff. You're just not calling play day of. But Nick Saban's defenses look similar as the years have gone on, offense similarly, as his coordinators have changed basically every other year because they get head coaching jobs because who doesn't want someone who's breathed the same air as Nick Saban and been his head or been his, his assistant coach and one of his coordinators. So it's not what Lanning has seen work, right? Primarily it was at Georgia and he watched Kirby be a head coach, be a CEO, orchestrate this, be involved here, be involved there, and then not call plays on game day. So I imagine from a mindset perspective, that's where Lanning is coming from. That he's saying, no, that's not what my mentor taught me. You're a head coach. You're involved here. You're involved there. You got to do this. You're responsible for, you know, when players have a problem, when players have a crisis, they're coming to you. And that requires all that stuff that comes with being a head coach diverts your attention away from being able to focus on what the play calling plan is going to be and then actually implementing that on game day. So though I would like to see it because it's what he was very good at and I haven't been pleased with Tosh Lupoy to this point because situationally they've been so bad. Overall, it's just not a change that we should expect to see. And though I think Lupoy deserves more of the blame at this point in time, you can't take it entirely away from Lanning because he's heavily involved. You know he's spending more of his time on the defensive side than the offensive, though he's clearly a part of, of both meetings and both game plans throughout the course of the week. You, you got to have a, a little bit there. It's probably like 80-20 in, in my view because Lanning is, or Lupoy is the guy who's watching the games, calling the plays, getting them into the defense and such. But both of them have got to be better on that side of the ball. The good news is they're not going up against pass-heavy offenses. They're going up against run-heavy offenses. And we know that Oregon can stop the run. They stopped Washington a number of times in short yardage situations, which even against a team that's not known for running the football is a really hard thing to do. It's really hard to stop a team on third and one. And that Washington offensive line is pretty good. Better in pass protection than they are in run blocking, for sure, but still competent. And when Oregon needed to, they made some stops. And I think philosophically, Utah and Oregon State don't present as much of a challenge as Washington did for how they're going to play. They might adjust. Oregon State doesn't have the personnel. Whether it's Chance Nolan or Ben Gilbranson, neither one are going to be able to do what Michael Penix did. Cam Rising, he could. He's got like one, one really good weapon, though, in Dalton Kincaid. Brant Keithy is injured. He's out for the year. Devon Vale is a solid receiver. They're not as weapons deep. They're going to try to be more balanced. It's part of their MO offensively. So that's the good news in the short term. And in the long term, the good news is this may be a situation where there are a lot of players that, that are there, that are, that are solid football players, but not the guys, not the types of guys that Lanning and Lupoy want to execute this defense to run it at a high level. Oregon's not going to get in the college football playoffs this year. If it were a 12-team model, yeah, they'd still have a chance. I'll tell you why I'm against the 12-team model. Even for Oregon, after I talk to you about Bet Online, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at Bet Online. 
sportsbook.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, someone asked a question last week, and I thought it was relevant given that Oregon just lost this game. Um, I am an anti college football playoff expansionist. I like the four-team model as is. It is not perfect. I am not here to tell you that there are not things I don't like. I talk about all the time on Locked On Pac-12. The fact that UCLA last week, given their resume before the Arizona game, was four slots behind USC, absolutely ridiculous. That Clemson was in the top ten, absolutely ridiculous. However, those things often have a way of playing themselves out. And the solution to me is not to replace it with a model that looks more like the NFL, but rather to get people on the committee that don't have their heads up their rear ends from time to time. But also, by the end of the year, they've tended to get it right, in my view. Uh, Balanstrand asked, hey Spencer, I've got a quick one for LOD, that being locked on ducks, of course. What would you consider a more successful end of the season? A close or even dominant win in the Rose Bowl or a trip to the CFP and losing bad? He asked this before the Washington game, of course. And I don't mean just losing, but also not necessarily by 46 points, say three possessions or so. Thanks. This game is a perfect representation of why, even when looking at what it could mean for Oregon, though there would be some benefits for sure, I don't think college football playoff expansion is going to help. Because... This Oregon team, this one, right now, as it is in its current makeup, assuming Bo Nix is able to come back healthy, don't know at this point in time, with that loss to Washington, could still get into a 12-team playoff. Because if you're a conference champion, I think they're going to have auto bids. So Oregon could get into that playoff. So what? So, So what if they could get into the playoff? Does anybody think that if this team played any of the top four, whether it was Georgia again, whether it's Ohio State, whoever it is, TCU, yeah, they'd probably have a chance. Tennessee would probably throw for 500 yards. TCU might as well. Does anyone think this Oregon team in its current iteration can win a national championship? Answer, no, they cannot. Offense, good enough to do so. Defense, not close. But in a 12-team playoff, you could say, well, you know, we could still get into the playoff. Yeah, so that they can what? Go in there and get shellacked? I'd rather go to the Rose Bowl and play a highly competitive game and lose or win the Rose Bowl. That's a better look for your program. That's going to get you a better view. In, you're going to be looked upon more respective, more, in a more respected manner by the, by the AP going into the next season to get a higher ranking to start. You're going to get more clout in the college football space if you win the Rose Bowl and get blown out in the college football playoff. And you're going to feel better about where your program is at. It, it's, it's just the reality of it. And so I would rather win the Rose Bowl than lose in the college football playoff when I know the team can't get there. Now, on the whole, yeah, I'd rather be in the playoff than not. But I don't want to be in it because they expanded it to 12 teams. Because if they've expanded to 12 teams and then Oregon gets in, it's a team like this one or a team like 2019. And 2019 might have even been closer, but do we think that that offense with Marcus Arroyo at the helm was ready to go? I mean, they put up like 200 yards of offense in the Rose Bowl. That was a defensively led team. Do we think that that team going up against LSU 
was going to put up a, a good fight. Like Oklahoma went in there, got shellacked. Oregon won the Rose Bowl. What's a better feeling? What What's a better feeling? To me, it's winning the Rose Bowl when you don't have a team that can win the national championship. And if you cannot get into the top four under this current model at the end of the year, then you're not a team capable of winning the national championship. We see a lot of games in the college football playoff that are blowouts anyway. Because oftentimes, the fourth team isn't good enough to win. But I agree with the four-team model over two from what we had before because when you look at the, at the way the games have played out, a lot of them have been blowouts, but not all of them. And you should allow for that margin of error. You should allow for that sort of leeway. And I think the four-team model does that sufficiently. But if you are not good enough as a football team to get into the top four, then there's no point in saying like, well, you know, we could have a chance to win national championship. No, it doesn't matter. It, 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 it does not matter. You are not going to win. This is not college basketball. Basketball is a sport that allows for a more level playing field because of the, the game, how it plays out, how much talent there is across the country. A team can get red hot and then go out, shoot a bunch of threes, make a bunch of threes. Other team is cold and you can win a football game or you can win a basketball game. You can't really do that in football. When the other team is better, they are going to dominate you way more often than not. Way, way, way more often than not. Comparing college football to college basketball, saying, well, you know, you've got so many teams there. Yeah, you do, but it's not the same. It's a different sport, and that makes it a completely different situation regardless. So I just think that there's no value to be added for Oregon of getting into a 12-team playoff when you know they can't win a national championship. I, I, I don't think that there's, there's a whole lot of value to that. And I also treasure the college football regular season, and a 12-team playoff removes urgency significantly. Alabama would still be getting in the playoff right now. Season wouldn't be over. But now, by their standard, season's over. Clemson, eh, season might be over. 12-team playoff, I like it still get in. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of that at all. And I don't think it helps Oregon. It doesn't get you any closer to where we want to go, which is get back to the national championship game. It does not change the equation at all. That is why, in a nutshell, I'm against expansion. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.